right. Another conversation on the road to Emmaus. If you haven't been with us, this is interactive, which means you're expected to participate on some level. No pressure. If you're introverted like me, you don't have to speak in front of a crowd if you don't want to. But I will ask questions, and you can respond, and I love it when you do. Um, but when we, we're talking about fear and anxiety today. So I need to give this a little bit of a disclaimer, all right? When I talk about fear and anxiety today, I, am, I want to acknowledge that there are fears and anxieties that are biological and deeply psycho psychological that take more than just a Bible verse to overcome. It's just the reality of the human nature. It's part of the fall. And so there's psychological pro challenges that take therapy, that take medication to overcome because that God has given us the gift of those things as well. My senior professor used to say, all truth is God's truth. And so if a scientist can discover a pill that can help you with anxiety, then that's a gift from God as well. And the reason I bring that up as a disclaimer is because it would be really easy to say, just read your Bible and don't be anxious. You know, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Cool. Sermon over. Let's go on. Right? Don't be anxious about anything. That's what it says. Does that mean that if you, power, in a very powerful way, struggle with anxiety on a regular basis, that you're not a good Christian? Of course not. So we need to acknowledge that up front. That when we're talking about fear and anxiety today, we're talking about those emotions when they come up, particularly when they interfere with our ability to have a relationship with God or a relationship with others. But we freely acknowledge that sometimes it takes something beyond ourselves to overcome them. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to be like, Charlie just says read the Bible and anxiety is going to go away. No, that, it can and honestly, even in the circumstances that I'm describing, can God deliver you in a miraculous way? Absolutely. But we have to be very real and transparent and say, you can't just, if you could just think yourself out of anxiety, there wouldn't be any reason for therapists, right? There wouldn't be any reason for psychiatrists if it was just that easy. Oh, there, people would be flocking to the church if reading Philippians 4, 6, and 7 cured anxiety. We'd have hundreds of people in here because we have the solution to anxiety. Just read a Bible verse. Cool. That's all I got to do. Save me thousands of dollars in therapy. Sweet. <laughs> so there is something to that piece of it. But there is also something to dealing with fear and anxiety in our daily life. That Paul writing this would say that with integrity that it can be as simple as, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, present your requests with prayer and thanksgiving to God, paraphrase. That's a spiritual command from Paul. There's some deep truth in that spiritual passage. But anxiety is insidious, y'all. I don't know if you realize this, but to some degree, anxiety itself or worry or fear is a little bit of a coping skill. If you're not afraid of a massive snake, something's wrong with you. It's a coping skill that keeps you alive. When you walk to the edge of a cliff and your heart starts racing because you're afraid you're going to fall off of it, that's your body telling you, don't fall off of it. <laughs> right? So the emotions are built into us for a purpose and for a reason. They're a coping skill for dealing with certain things. We should have concern or care or passionate about things. We should be anxious in the sense that we're going to be threatened, right? 
Our life's in danger. The warning bells are going off. We ought to listen to those. The problem becomes we start orienting our life around the alarm bell. And we do it slowly and incrementally without even realizing we've done it until years later we realize we're anxious about everything. When the passage says don't be anxious about anything. And so we tend to work ourselves up to where it's a pattern that we operate in because the cliff is over here and now we're over here and we still feel anxious. It's no longer a coping skill. Much further than that. But you get the illustration, right? If we experience something that scares us and then we don't go anywhere near it ever again and it's no longer a threat, then it's no longer a coping skill. We're feeling fear for fear's sake. We're feeling anxiety for anxiety's sake. The coping skill, and it, and it does it in little, I was anxious about this. Well, now I'm anxious about this. Well, now I'm anxious until it just takes over our life. And we don't even realize it until maybe somebody points it out and you go, wait, I am anxious about this stuff. Why am I anxious about this stuff? You ever had that moment? Wait, why am I worried about this? You come to an end of a semester and your grades are so high that you can like make a 40 on the exam and you'll still have a high, high B or an A. And you have this moment where it's like, why do I care how hard I'm studying? You know, like, I'm so anxious about this exam. I could write my name on it and still get a B in this class. See ya. You know what I mean? Like, if you ever had, you ever had one of those moments, maybe not. Anyway, in other words, we're so anxious about it, and there's no real grounding in the anxiety. It's just anxiety for anxiety's sake. Maybe it's comfortable or familiar, or it feels it serves some emotional purpose in us, but it's taken over how we function. So let me ask this question, since we're interactive on these conversations. And you can say, I'll always give you the heads because you're talking in a large public group, right? Because the question is, what gives you anxiety or worry? So you could couch it and say, I know people worry about this, and we won't have to assume it's you, if that gives you a layer of security to answer the question. But what are some things that cause people fear and anxiety, particularly as it relates to their spiritual life or their life? What are some things that causes anxiety or causes you anxiety, if you want to confess that? Huh? New beginnings. New beginnings. So are you feeling anxious right now, Thomas? <laughs> that's, right. that's right. About to embark on a big adventure. We're going to lose Thomas after this week, next week, one more. Moving to Texas. Moving to Texas. New beginnings, unknown for sure. What are some things that cause fear or anxiety? Financial security. Can I get an amen on that one? Gas is how much? It's threatening my rent. No. What else? Not having, control. Not having control. Okay. That's a good one. Lack of control leads to fear and anxiety for sure. Any others? Parenting. Parenting. There's all kinds of reasons for fear and anxiety around parenting. Don't play in the street is one. <laughs> Are they going to turn out like me? That's another one. I don't know. Huh? Brand new driver, Brand new driver that'll cause fear and anxiety. It'll also cause your insurance rate to go up. It's also the lack of control that they have a car and can go somewhere where you don't know where they are, too. We've been, yeah, I used to go run around with my dad about that. 
why 11 o'clock curfew? Because I don't trust everybody else on the road, not because I don't trust you. <laughs> I just echoed her concern over there. That's right. All right. So let me ask you this. What have you done or tried that worked or didn't work when it comes to fear and anxiety? What are some things you've tried that did or did not work? Either one. We'll take failures or success stories here. Okay, what did you say? Focusing on something you can control. Right, when you lose control of this, I'm going to be uber controlling about this, because I can. Okay. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, go to school, get good grades, get a secure job. You mean like the ones that get downsized when the economy does this? Or your company gets bought out? Or, yeah, there's no such thing as a secure job. There's always something there, for sure. But try, how do you tap into, you said trust God. That's, what, that's essentially what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. So how do you tap into that? How do you practice that? That's getting ahead of the sermon, but we can go there because you brought it Stephen's going to come preach. I'm just going to go sit down. I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> He's absolutely right. I say that because you're absolutely right. There's the consistency factor there, the discipline of that. Thank you for giving me point three of my sermon ahead of time. There's a discipline factor there, right? It's not just, oh, I only talk to God when I'm insecure. It is, I mean, the, the passage I read, don't be anxious about anything. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. I think the next verse actually says, and he will give you peace. So if you're consistently placing your cares and concerns at God's lap, he will return that favor with peace. Okay, I can cut that part of my sermon out for later. Right? I mean, that's, it, is a, it does take a discipline. It does take practice if you're... Not because what's the alternative? If we're not tapping into trusting God, who are we trusting in? Ourselves. You're either trusting one or the other. You're either trusting your own ability to get through the situation, to control the situation, and when you can't, there's anxiety, <laughs> or you're trusting God to handle the situation. Anytime somebody says that to me, though, it's like, does it mean I just have to go sit on my couch and God's going to take care of everything? <laughs> You know, like that's probably carrying it to an extreme. You know, there's probably a we're on the in this together piece of this. It's not like, oh, my request has been made to God. I'm waiting for the return. What's on Netflix? You know, that's not how it works. If only it did, right? Oh, financial security. I've placed that request before God. I'm, I'm going to go have dinner. <laughs> I wish it worked that way. I wish the peace was that way. I wish the solutions were that presentable. Hey, God, would you take care of this for me? But the last time I checked, God's not my butler. The last time I checked, he's not Uber, spiritually speaking. Right? Dial him up on the app and he takes care of it for you. But he does 
empower you in the midst of that to take care of it. He does provide somebody in your life. I mean, I started this talk by saying sometimes fear and anxiety is beyond your ability to cope or get past. God does provide doctors and therapists to empower you to get over the stuff or to at least learn how to live with it in certain circumstances, right? How to cope, how to deal with it, how to do that kind of stuff. Well, we have a passage today, 2 Timothy. It's not, it's not Philippians 4. We'll, we'll touch back on that a minute in a little while, but let me give you some context. Timothy is basically Paul's heir apparent. He's Paul's primary disciple. He's a guy who Paul has been going, I'm going to teach you everything I know so that you can carry on after me. Right? He's, I'm, I'm entrusting everything to you. I'm telling you to teach people what I have taught you. He's passing the baton. Because when he writes this letter to Timothy, and this is the second letter that he's written to Timothy that we have, Paul's writing it from prison. He's been imprisoned in Rome again. Look, it looks like the only way out this time is going to be to be executed. And so he's writing to Timothy again and telling him stuff about what it means to pastor the church, to create disciples, to do those things. And so Timothy is facing, at the, at the time Paul writes the letter, people are leaving the church. There's false teachers. People teaching stuff that's not according to what Paul had taught him to teach. He's faced with Paul being in prison. Paul's not immediately available to coach him anymore. He's in prison. He's coaching from a distance by letter. Can you imagine how long it took the letter to get Timothy? I mean, I didn't have email. <laughs> you know what I mean? Over a ship and over the hill and through the woods to grandma's house. Plenty of reasons to be afraid. Persecution, failure, betrayal, loss of his friend Paul. Timothy has every reason in the books I can think of to be an anxious pastor be an anxious leader. So this is, and by the way, I left my Bible up the hill, so forgive me, we got digital Bible today. The second, hopefully that'll work for us. If not, I'll call on somebody. For this, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on, laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about the Lord or of me as his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. That's some pretty wise counsel from prison to a pastor dealing with all types of spiritual challenges, right? Verse 6, he says... Fan the flame. Rekindle the spirit that was given to you when I laid hands on you. Paul personally prayed over Timothy and commissioned him as a pastor. And he's reminding him, you were called to this. We laid hands on you for this. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's given him the connection saying, right? Remember, God is with you. You're not doing this on your own. Um, I think this was, I can't remember when this was, but early on in my ministry career, somebody told me, God wouldn't call you to this and then not be with you when he does it. If you're faced with a challenge in a new set of circumstances or work or financial insecurity, God would not put you in those circumstances and go, good luck, let's see how this works out for you. Charlie, you're going to go be a pastor in Starville. Hope you've studied. Bye. That's not how this works. 
He wouldn't call you to a place or to a relationship or to a set of circumstances and not be with you or equip you to do it. Or empower you to do it. And Paul's reminding Timothy of the same thing. Re, remember your baptism. Remember your anointing. Remember that the Spirit is with you. Rekindle the flame of the Spirit that came upon you when we laid hands upon you. Don't forget. It's not all up to you. We were talking about this a little while ago, right? How much, and you can give me some feedback on this one, how much does our fear and anxiety have to do with us, doubt, have to do with doubt in our own ability? I mean, I said, which one are you relying on? How much of our own anxieties has to do with doubt in our own ability? When you think about it. Or lack of control. Or lack of our ability to control. We should be in control, but we're not. We talked a few weeks ago about imposter syndrome, right? I'm supposed to be really good at this. What if they figure out I'm not? I mean, imagine being a pastor in Starkville. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's fear and anxiety. What if people ever don't come ever again? Like, there's all reasons for... How, but how much of that comes from us looking to ourselves for the solution? Financial insecurity. How much of that has to do with our own ability to make sure we can still have money and manage it? And a lot of times I think we look at that and go, it's their fault they're not paying me enough or whatever. But what do you do with what you are getting paid? I don't know. Skill set at your job. I might get fired because I'm not good enough at this. Studying for school. I didn't study, so I'm pretty anxious about the test. Well, you should be if you didn't study. You know, <laughs> how much of that anxiety comes from the fact you didn't do what you're supposed to do in the first place, <laughs> not from the fact that you're not smart enough to do it? The gift from God is we're not doing it. It's not really up to us to do the stuff he's called us to do. Paul says, Timothy, you're supposed to do this, but you're not supposed to do it alone. Lean into the Holy Spirit. The way Stephen was talking about, you know, it's the discipline prayer thing. The gift from God in this passage, I love this way this passage is worded because Paul gives me a nice little three-point sermon. Right? Let me put a little verse back up again. Hopefully my phone will not betray me. Yes, sweet. He says, uh, God did not give you a spirit of cowardice or fear. Your translation might say fear. This one actually says cowardice. In other words, God didn't call you to be a coward. <laughs> Thanks. Instead, he gave you a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So not only are we supposed to rely and lean on the fact that it's not just up to us, that the Spirit's involved, but what the Spirit gave us was power, love, and self-discipline. Whatever circumstances you're facing, the gift of the Spirit is power. We feel anxious when we try to manage it ourselves. Those emotions are a red light on our dashboard that we're the ones trying to do the managing. Remember I told you anxiety is a warning signal, right? If you are feeling anxious, that's the little light on your dashboard going, you're trying to do this all yourself again. Experience, remember my preface, right? This is not the biological anxiety we're talking about. 
If you're feeling anxious about your new experience in Texas, it's because you're trying to control all the details to make it per the transition perfect. Am I preaching yet? <laughs> I know because I've been there. I've been where you are. If we're going to a new place in a new town, how hard do we work to get this house to close at just the right moment so we can move in the next day and not be homeless? To get the lender to do what they're supposed to to make sure we do close on time. To get the job to start right when we need the job to start so that paycheck disruption doesn't happen. We spend all of our time going, I have to work out all these perfect little details. And we get, we find, that's when we go, wait, I'm all anxious about this. Why? Because I'm the one trying to work out all the details. So the dashboard signal goes off. Why am I feeling so anxious? Because I'm trying to control things that might be beyond my ability to control. If I've made the phone call to the realtor, if I've done my stuff, turned in the paperwork my job wants me to do, the rest of, it's on, that's on, the rest of it is God and them, not me. The due diligence is on my end, right? Making them do something is when I'm going to redline. Why won't they call me back? Why did that teacher give me another exam the week before? You know, how many times when you're anxious are you actually going, it's their fault. They did, what, look what they're doing. That's out of your realm of control. How many times do you catch yourself going, they make me so angry? Listen to that phrase closely. They make me angry. They make me anxious. Where have I placed control? They can't make you feel anything. Not control of the circumstances, control of your emotions. That statement is, they make me anxious. They, they, the driver makes me anxious. Whoops. <laughs> right? Maybe their driving does make you anxious for good reason. But you get what I'm saying, right? That once they're out the door, the continuing to worry is, I'm allowing those circumstances to control my emotional response because I don't have control. And in those circumstances, you present your requests to God. Because when it's beyond your control, it really is up to God, right? But we have, so the first gift of the Spirit in, in this context is we do have power over certain things. We have power over our emotional experience. <laughs> he said parenting, right? I can choose to allow disobedience to make me angry. Like really angry. Or I can choose how I respond to their disobedience, emotionally speaking. You see the difference? Their disobedience is not a personal attack. Think about when you disobeyed your own parents. Were you like... I'm trying to say I hate you? Or you literally just thought you knew better than they did? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Flip it. There, when you were a kid and you didn't want to do what mom and dad wanted you to do, were you like, I hate you? Or were you like, no, 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 I just think I know better than you? <laughs> it's not a personal attack. It's a choice. They're choosing to push the boundary. They're choosing to push the limit. And we take it personally and get all bent out of shape. All we've done is escalate the situation. Now this has turned into a parenting seminar by accident. Sorry, we can do that another day too. 
But those are great circumstances because we control our emotional... We have the power in the Spirit to control our emotional response. What does Paul say to Timothy? Remember where your power comes from. Remember where your power to control, to work in the circumstances that you're in. Persecution, abandonment, betrayal, hardship. Where does the power to deal with those come from? It comes from God, not from you. And it's a spirit that God gave you. He did not abandon you. We believe the lie that it's up to us, and it's not. The second part of that is love. I want to read 1 John 4.18. Oh, I typed it. I don't have to worry about digital Bible. Sweet. Um, 1 John 4.18. There is this, now I've got to qualify this one in a minute too, but you'll just listen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. <laughs> John's not pulling any punches. And when you first read that verse, what does it sound like? Perfect love casts out fear. It sounds like you shouldn't be afraid. Just like First Philippians 4 said, you shouldn't be anxious if you're a good Christian. It says perfect love casts out fear, number one. Anybody perfect? New takers? Really? Okay. So if you're not perfect in love yet, then you're going to haven't cast out all fear because you're not perfect in love. You see the trade-off, right? But it is a particularly good spiritual goal, is it not? To pursue love, perfection in love? Because what does he say at the back half, of it, back half of it? Whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. What's the implication? No, really, what's the implication of that? Whoever fears has not reached perfection. What's the implication? You can reach perfect love. That's what Wesley believed. He talked about, we can't be perfect in our behavior. We're still sin, right? Everybody, nobody said I'm perfect. But can we have a perfect intention of love in our heart if we belong to Jesus? I believe so. I believe you have to get there. I believe there are days when you don't want to be there at all. <laughs> I believe it is a process. I believe it's an ongoing tug of war. In fact, I believe most, and most listen to how I'm saying this, I believe, so test me on this, right? I believe that most of becoming a disciple, me, it, what really being a disciple is, is the tug of war over your heart. Not over your actions. That who and what you love most decides how close to Jesus you are. If I love money most, I'm moving away from God. If I love God most, those things won't matter as much. Because what you love is what you worship. Perfect love casts out fear. Where does fear come from? Where does fear come from? Yeah, it comes from us. It comes out of our heart. Lack of control, threat, insecurity... We're afraid. Right? So it's coming from us. John is not saying if you have fear, you're not a good Christian. He's saying that when you love God completely, you won't have fear. Perfectly. <laughs> Again, it's a tug of war, right? 
but it's a spiritual direction. It's where you're headed. Sanctification is making your heart more and more perfectly loving God. That's why I think that's where discipleship meets the rubber meets the road in discipleship. Because you can do all the behavior management you want and still hate God on the inside. Did you catch that? You can go to church. You can love your wife or your spouse. You can love your parents and do good stuff with your parents. You can read your Bible every day. You can go to Sunday school. You can even tithe and hate God. I don't think you'll stay that way if you do all those things. But it is possible to do all that external stuff and not trust or believe in God on the inside. So what really matters then? The shape of your desires. The shape of your heart. Why are you giving? Why are you going to church? Why are you reading your Bible? To check a box and to look good to everybody else or to express your love for God? If you're doing it for my sake, so your pastor will think you're a good Christian, that's exhausting. You don't do that. Don't do it for me. Do it for him. Do it for Jesus, because you love Jesus, not because Charlie's going to give you a good grade in church or something, like I grade you or something. Uh, he's moving to Texas. I'm going to have to knock him a little bit. That's not how it works, right? No, I don't sit around and go Monday morning and go, well, they weren't very spiritual. Jeremy blew that chord in the worship praise song. You know, like, we're not, that's not how this works. That's not even how God works, by the way. Oh, Charlie sinned again. He's out. Is that how God works? Of course not. If we belong to him, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive give us right perfect love drafts that casts out fear perfect love casts out doubt perfect love chases chase away evil the more my heart is full of love of god the more i desire what god wants the more i do what god wants the battle's here not out here when you win this battle when god wins this battle completely the rest of it changes for real The third part was self-discipline, right? Now we can get to Philippians 4, 6, and 7 when we talk about anxiety and fear and concerns and cares and worry. Don't be anxious, but instead with prayer and petition present every, in every circumstance present your requests to God. That is a call to spiritual discipline, not a call to no anxiety. In every circumstances... Instead of worrying, instead of trying to figure it out yourself, instead of fretting, instead of making sure, trying to control all things you can't control, present it to God. Be disciplined in presenting it to God. And God gave you a spirit of self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline was the big three Paul told Timothy. Right? God gave you the ability to be disciplined about this stuff. I know, and I'm terrible at it too. <laughs> but he gave you the power and the desire and the self-discipline to not have to worry. To not have to be anxious, let's put it that way. To not be so riddled with anxiety you can't function. To be so concerned about where your next paycheck's coming from that you can't get out of bed in the morning. To be so afraid of what other people think of you that you don't interact with others. 
to be gripped. Those are a normal Those are emotions you people experience. To be gripped by them and to be owned by them is to not trust God, but to trust in yourself. The dashboard lights going off. Remember my disclaimer, right? Normally, not psychological anxiety that needs help. That's a different ball game. Not a phobia that makes you can't leave the house because you're so wired that way that you need professional help. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about everyday Christians that are more worried about what the world thinks than what God thinks. That are more worried about controlling our circumstances than allowing God to work out the details. That are more worried about what's going to happen to somebody else or things that are beyond us that we don't allow God to take care of that or trust God to take care of that. What do you fear where God's concerned? What do you, if we talk about fear in life circumstances, that's one part of this. What do you fear where God's concerned? Anybody? Do you have fear where God's concerned? Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you're a Christian, you really don't have a reason. A number of years ago, I was a counselor for the Adolescent Offender Program in Tupelo, Mississippi, which meant I did counseling for juvenile offenders, teenagers who had broken the law, been arrested, incarcerated, were out on probation, going through the system, so to speak. And so I, this particular season, I was doing it at, at the alternative school in New Albany. So once a week, I would drive to New Albany and conduct this small group meeting with a group of guys who had been in trouble with the law that were at the alternative school who couldn't do mainline school because they got in trouble in the mainline school. They're at the alternative school. Rough kids. On this particular day, I was driving from Tupelo to New Albany. I'm like, I have no idea what I want to talk to him about today because I'm always disciplined and always prepared to work out, right? I'm like, I have no idea. God, I literally had this little prayer driving from Tupelo to New Albany. What are we talking about today, God? <laughs> what, what are we going to talk about when I get there? I have no clue. And uh, the word fear popped into my head. Okay, sounds good. Still didn't have a curriculum laid out or anything. So I walked into this room with 10 or so juvenile criminals. <laughs> Walked over to the board and wrote the word fear across the board and said, what are you most afraid of? Three of the four guys that vocalized all said the same thing. God. I was a little stunned. Public school, juvenile criminals, what are you afraid of? God. The pastor and me kicked in. I was like, cool, I got a solution for that one. Let's talk. <laughs> right? And they opened the door. You know, it was like, what are you afraid of? Because I said, what is it about God? Same question I just asked you. What is it about God that you're afraid of? Two and one, going to hell. That we can deal with. That we can deal with. A verse I didn't type that I'm going to try to pull up digitally. I said, so let me get this straight. You guys who did whatever you did to get here could have said anything about fear. Being shot by my buddies. I mean, because they could have said anything. I said, God. And when I got specific, going to hell. If that wasn't an invitation to present the gospel, I don't know what was. So I literally did talk to them about what faith and salvation looks like. Why not? If they come back at me because I'm in a public school and I'm preaching, I'm like, 
I asked them what they were afraid of. They said God. They asked what they were afraid about God. They said going to hell. I gave them the Bible's answer to that. What do you want? <laughs> you know, like nobody was going to say anything. Nobody did say anything, by the way. Listen to this passage as we close out today. This is Romans 8, 37 to 39. In all the, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, who was shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, executed, said, I am convinced, I have no doubt, there is nothing that can separate us from God in all of creation. Paul, spiritually speaking, wasn't afraid of anything. In fact, what he called us was more than conquerors. If your life is riddled with fear and doubt, where God's concerned or where life is concerned, there's a nice passage to meditate on. Because somebody thinking bad about you at work, somebody actually out to get you, financial insecurity, marital strife, name your challenge that's creating anxiety right now. None of it can separate you from God. None of it. What you going to do? <laughs> I mean, because what did he tell Timothy? God didn't give you a spirit of fear and cowardice. He gave you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Why? To respond to the universe around you with. Because none of it can separate you from God. And what we tend to do is buy into the lie that it's up to us and to lean into our own power and our own understanding. I think there's a proverb about that. Proverbs 3, I didn't even put it in the system, 5 and 6, 4, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all, again, no exceptions, in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight, new experience guy. <laughs> in all of your ways, lean into God's understanding, not your own. This morning, this week, if your anxiety dashboard light is going on, you're leaning on your own understanding, not God's. It's not sin. It's not going to make God not love you anymore. It's not going to mean you're not a good Christian. It's just a warning light that it's time to remember the spirit that God gave you. A spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a, power, a spirit of self-discipline. Mary has a thought. Even if, even if the worst case scenario is death, what have you gained? And a missed paycheck's not going to kill you. Bad grades, not going to kill you. 
But if you die, Paul, Paul can say this. He's, he's doing what you're talking about, right? Imprisoned. Stone, they tried to stone him to death. They threw him off a cliff and dropped rocks on him. He was shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea. It's like none of that can separate you from God. He faced some pretty bad worst-case scenarios with confidence in knowing he's got God anyway. And when we lean in our own understanding, we tend to make it worse than it really is. I mean, I gave the exam example earlier because I'm still a student today. It is awful. But it's like when you look at your grades with optimism and go, hey, I got a 98 in here. If I flub this, it's still got to be. The anxiety level goes way down. Well, that means the anxiety was all here anyway. Or some level of perfection that says I have to have straight A's. Or some level of perfection that says I have to have this done or be this by this time and date. Or some arbitrary deadline that says I'm supposed to be in this position by 30. I'm supposed to be married by the time I'm 26. Or I'm gonna... Where are all those expect expectations coming from, by the way? The yes, the world, my own brain, television, The Bachelor, you know, like... <laughs> If the date's not a mountainside picnic that you flew there on helicopter, he's not a good dude, whatever, dude. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the next date after the show's over, let's go to McDonald's and get some Netflix. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. And we build this stuff in our head. Like, we build this stuff up and we build this stuff up. That's what I meant earlier about anxiety being insidious, right? It starts with a little bit of concern about something. And it becomes this thing inside of us that keeps us from even wanting to, even wanting to deal with it. And it's all just stuff up here. And Paul says, remember the spirit you were given. You have power. You are more than conquerors. You cannot be separated from God. So go for it. Does it mean fear is not normal? Does it mean a little bit of worry is not normal? Stage fright is not normal? It's normal. Experiencing it is normal. It's how you respond to those things that matter. Remembering who you belong to. Remembering who is with you. I mean, connection every Sunday. Best of all. <laughs> Romans 8, 39. Nothing can separate you from God. Best of all. He's with you. No matter what the circumstances are. No matter how bad you screwed it up. <laughs> Neither height nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, or powers, or anything else in all of creation can separate you from the love of God. Mary's exactly right. That's why I said meditating on this is a great idea because it recenters you in the fact that this is not beyond me. And if you, fa I mean, if you fail a class, what's the worst thing that can happen? Take it over. By default, you'll be better at it the second time. <laughs> right? Because you'll have heard everything. Might have the paper. You can just make it better. <laughs> worst case scenario, you take a class over. Extreme worst case scenario, you're looking at Jesus at the pearly gates. Oh, well. You're not going to care about that stuff anymore at that point. Grief is our problem after you're gone, not yours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're in heaven. You're not like, man, I'm dead. You're happy. It's those that you've left behind that are grieving and are sad. We talked about grief last week, right? Fear of God when it comes to eternity 
The answer to the juvenile offenders was, where is your faith? Where have you placed your faith? Where have you placed your love? What do you worship? Do you trust God for salvation or yourself? Because money or profession or relationship or anything the world tells you will give you meaning and purpose is relying on you or relying on stuff. And that stuff, when that stuff disappears, of course, you're going to be anxious. And it will disappear. But you cannot be separated from God. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess this is a challenge. We rest in the fact that you almost put it out there as a challenge. Don't be anxious about anything, but trust me. So we take you up on that promise this morning. One, that we cannot be separated from you. Two, that if we place our fears and concerns and worries at your feet, you will give us peace in return. In return. So we lean into those promises this morning. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.